RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going really well. And who's this to my right? I don't I don't recognize him. We haven't seen him in some time. I'm back. Hey, Mike. How's it going, guys? And it, it is good to have you back. It's good to be back. Sorry for the uh, the interruptions there for the last couple of weeks. No, I'll be honest, dude. You're lost. You missed some great episodes. The Tanner interviews were, were phenomenally fun. And then Brian and I talking about Mace 16 for two episodes was also phenomenally fun. Which but, was convenient since you weren't there. Yes, it was. But it's good to have you back. Thank you. So, <clears throat> welcome to RPG Lessons Learned. So, if, if you've never listened to us before, the premise of our show is listen to us talk about lessons we learn from our actual sessions so that you can learn from our experience. And today, we'll be talking about another game in our Pathfinder Beginner Box mini campaign. So, several sessions in to our Pathfinder campaign, we started focusing sessions on actual characters. We had a session about Kyra, Mike's cleric. We had a session about Merciel, which we discussed. Uh, um, that's Nathan's rogue. And then for this session, Brian, we focused on Ezrin. We focused on your wizard. We sure did. So the local wizard in Sandpoint, according to the beginner box set, is a gentleman named Ilsori Gandithus. And armed with little more than that knowledge and the name of his school, the Tarandarok Academy, I proceeded to... Uh, run an entire session centered on Ilsori Gandithus' School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So, Mike, this was kind of a, of a dungeon crawl. We explored every floor, the classrooms, the dorms, the libraries, the labs, the cellar. Um, we made sure all of it made sense and it all had a function to play. And it, I was trying to make it really feel like a real tower, but you found it to be kind of a, a slog at the time. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thinking back on it, I, I think a lot of what it was was this is the first time in a while we had had a dungeon that was a multi-map dungeon. Um, we had been on a real long streak of either playing Theater of the Mind or Limited Map. Um, I think the, the game we did before this was the uh, the Graveyard one for, for my character, and it was basically that, that single map of the Graveyard. Um, so I think this this had been the first the first game in a while where we had multiple maps to explore with lots of movement, lots of locked doors, lots of nooks and crannies. And I think for me, that maybe slowed it down a little bit. Brian, any thoughts? I'll just echo, echo what Mike said. Um, the multi-map dungeon um, crawl is something that we had sort of fallen out of the habit of playing. And I think that, at least with me specifically, if if I don't do something within a couple of games, I kind of get really rusty really quick. And uh, I, I really become accustomed to theater of the mind. I really enjoy that. I think it, it more closely matches how I want to play. And yeah, I think uh, having the multi-level dungeon sort of threw me for a loop. So what lesson can I take away from this? Is, is, is it just that we're done with dungeon crawls? Is there a better way to do dungeon crawls? Like, And I'll be honest, I struggle with dungeon crawls as well. I struggle as the GM. I struggle with why does this dungeon structure exist? And what's the purpose of it? And that's why this tower that was functional, like the lower, the very bottom floor was a cellar. The first floor is, is a school where all the nobles' kids learn basically primary school stuff, like how to read. And then the further you go up, okay, there's dorms where he has actual apprentices and journeymen who are learning magic. And then you go further and further up in, into the, the wizard's sanctum. So for me, I can only get behind a dungeon crawl as DM when the dungeon makes sense to me. So that's why I struggle. 
I struggle with the idea of this labyrinth created by this wizard thousands of years ago to trap adventurers. If I was an adventurer, that'd be real easy. I'm not going there. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather kill goblins in the woods than explore death traps by a crazy wizard. So it just doesn't, the, the ecology of that just doesn't make any sense to me. The logic of that doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why I struggle. But I thought I had overcome that with this tower, but it's still still boring. And, and you know, I really, I'm struggling to, to put my finger on why, because when I compare this adventure that just had the three or four stories laid out on a map compared to something like the Tomb of Horrors, that was like four sessions, like four hour, hour and a half sessions. That did not feel like a slog. Whereas this, that was one, I believe it was one session, maybe two and it a was half one. hours. It's just one session. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, this felt like a slog. So, so maybe it's just something personally with our group that when we, when we have that map laid out in front of us, you know, maybe, maybe it's something in my mind. It triggers like a, a dragon warrior thing. It's like, oh, every single tile on this map could potentially trigger something that I'm not expecting for. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we should take some responsibility as players as well, or at least at the very least I should. So this was a an Ezrin based adventure, and I probably could have done more to bring the group along in like the excitement of being in Ilsorai Gandithus's um, tower. Uh, for me, um, sometimes I don't, I am not as energetic a player as I probably could or should be, I probably should have done a better job of uh, being enthusiastic or playing more enthusiastically. I think that uh, being absent, not that I was literally absent, but being absent of uh, the team and uh, trying to raise the stakes or, or, or bring the team along that I probably, I probably added to the fact that we, we may not have had as much fun. So how do I fix that? What, what what lesson can I write down from that? What what takeaway do I have? Either about the fact that laying a map in front of you guys makes it like Dragon Warrior, where you want to look at every tile, or getting Ezrin more involved in Ezrin's game. What could I, as, as DM, have done differently? Maybe maybe if we're going to have a game focused on a specific player, focus on Mike. <laughs> because Mike <laughs> is more more inclined to really get into it. So, so what you're saying is I have to carry you guys. Yes. Oh. That's exactly what I'm so saying. So let me ask you something. So, so had I warned you? Well, well we're, we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves. I'll tell you what. I want to come. It's really the dungeon crawl that I want this question and this piece of the conversation to focus on. And I don't know what to take away from it. So I guess it's just for me as GM to be aware, Mike, that when I put a map in front of you, you're going to want to go in every single room and search every single thing that you see on that map. And I was using these wonderful maps by a gentleman named Arknight. You can they were, go to. They were good maps. Yeah, I think it's Arc Knight. If you Google Arc Knight, A R C, and then Knight K N I G H T, you'll find these maps. They they were. I got them as part of a Kickstarter. They're phenomenally good maps. They're very detailed. The rooms have furniture, things like that. So, are you saying, Mike, that when I, you know, I, I choose a map, I choose a bunch of maps to be this wizard's tower. I lay them down in front of you, and then boom, you're seeing beds and chests of drawers and furniture and tables with with and desks and are are you saying that you you feel compelled to search every bit of that i think there is a bit of that right and and i think the other thing when i see a map i immediately begin to metagame of okay 
if if I were someone creating a trap on this map, where would be the best place for the trap to be? I do that. Where where would I put the monsters for for maximum you know bottlenecks? Uh, and unlike Mike, though, I don't have to explore every square on the map. I am more interested. It's like going to the grocery store. I want to get in and I want to get out. So I think maybe as a as a team and as a group, we don't always have the same um, things that we value. And maybe that's something that uh, if we were more aligned in what's important to us, what our priorities are, maybe uh, yeah. we might we might have more fun than something like that. And I would say my uh, my gamer brain actively takes over. I know we've talked a little bit about gamer brain in the past, but I, I totally get into that scenario where, <clears throat> excuse me, I get into that scenario where I, you know I'm I'm back in my Doom two days and my Wolfenstein days, and I'm pushing on every wall to find the secret entrance, you know, trying to trying to dissect the uh, the 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 adventure, trying to dissect the the obstacles. I think I think we could probably do a better job of. Um collaborating not that we don't collaborate i think that we do but i think it's often that i'm sitting here looking at a tablet uh nathan is trying to figure out ways to you know he's going he's going to crack a joke and maybe try to think of ways to game something uh chris is sort of doing his thing probably checking espn and uh you know cracking a joke and mike is like guys let's just go ahead and do this i think we could probably come together a little better and agree on what we're going to do and not just say whatever mike says which is normally how we do it. I, I agree with that. <laughs> All right. Well, let me ask one more question about the map. If I had hand drawn the map, if we were on a vinyl mat and I was using wet erase markers and I'm drawing the map as we go, does that make it better or worse? Is it better because it's simpler and I'm not drawing furniture that distracts you? Or is it worse because if I do draw furniture, then, oh no, why did he draw that, that set of drawers? <laughs> I never thought about that. I honestly don't know how to answer that now. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I literally have a conflict in my brain where, where my left side of my brain absolutely says, oh, no, if it's if it's a simple hand-drawn map, you can you can just play it and you'll fill in the blanks with your mind. But no, my right side of the brain absolutely says, yeah, if you draw a chest on that map, it's a 99% chest that trap is trapped, tra- that chest is trapped, and it's going to kill me. <laughs> it's a mimic. Yes, it's a mimic. All right, so I don't know what to put here. We, we've talked before about the grid versus gridless, and we've all said that we like the grid. Yeah, I like the grid. we've all said that we like gridless. So I don't know what to take away here. Uh, me, me, I don't know. It could have been. How about this? Go you ahead. know what? I'm, I'm laying the maps down, and it's starting to feel like a slog. Why don't – can I just give you guys permission to say, yeah, this is kind of draggy, Dusty. Can you just – you know, let's, let's, let's fast forward to the next encounter. Like, the, does that feel okay to say? I think of it this way. Are you ever watching a movie – for the first time you've never seen this movie before and it's kind of draggy and you start hitting the 10 second skip button just to see when something's going to happen i don't do that i do that i don't do that i I do that a lot i normally just disengage (laughs) yeah that's when i normally pull out the phone it's like okay when the music swells i'll start watching again okay but but maybe maybe it's not that we skip to the next encounter maybe it's that the next time we do a dungeon crawl we start mapless, and then you only put a map down if we're struggling to engage with that dungeon, because that would be that would be the only real reason I could see we need a map is if if we need something to funnel us through a certain checkpoint or give us some certain clue that we're not glomming onto from the words. Is, is that unfair to Dusty though to ask him to do all this prep and then not utilize the materials that he's prepping with? Well, and too, ask my wife. I've spent hundreds of dollars yeah. yes. on maps. On these items, yeah. Yes. 
that's that's a good point too. Maybe it's the next time I put down a map, I say, "Hey, don't get too into the map. I'll make sure you don't miss anything." Okay. Or I'll, I'll make sure that if you miss anything, it's an honest that you missed a roll, or that you missed something because the story demanded it, not because you didn't poke the, this wall. That that could work. That's fair. I like that. All right. I don't know how to write that down, so we're gonna we're gonna keep moving in the interest of of trying to hit our half hour mark, which we never do. All right. On the other hand. So the last thing with the map, on the other hand, I, I did work really hard on, on giving each floor and each room a purpose so that it felt like a complete, you know, building, a self-sufficient, functional building that had, you know, a reason to exist and people could conceivably live there. Um, right down to, I mean, some of the rooms upstairs, were, 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 we, we had chamber pots in them. Like, we went there. We went into the logistics of how people actually live there. Was that good? Was that verisimilitude good? Or, or I liked it. I liked that part. I agree. For me, what's what's so fun about D and D can be the mundane, and how how do, how do they deal with the mundane in this fantasy world? I mean, so it, it's like any story, right? So any kind of narrative or any kind of um, fiction. So example. So um, right now on the one of the other podcasts I'm doing, I'm doing a serialized story, and I've done two episodes so far. One episode was very sort of vague it didn't really anchor anything into reality the new, the second part i'm really trying harder to you know have real points of reality like landmarks um programs uh just just all these bits of life that people can relate to uh to draw them into the story uh if it's just you know well you walk into a room well, what's in the room? I don't know. You know, there's a bookcase over there in the corner, probably. I mean, so it, that that doesn't create any sense of reality, and it doesn't draw people in. So I, I I like the fact that there are chamber pots in this in this tower. I mean, it makes it real. So Brian, we we touched on this a second ago, but since this was an Ezrin game, I left a lot of the initiative up to you. I left a lot of the story up to you. How, how was that? Was so, that so? The way I've been playing the character and basically as kind of like a screw up smart guy capable um but i mean he's a sort of a disappointment in life he's in his 50s and now he's a level four wizard which hey level four is awesome you know it, like in the in the real world of gaming if you're level four you were a tough dude but you know you're not as tough as say somebody who's a level 12 or, or a level eight um but you, you certainly stand above um, uh, the rest of humanity. Uh, but but in the story, I mean, so I think my character had big dreams of what he wanted to do, and he, he didn't realize them. So now he's just sort of kind of like a lovable screw up. He's just sort of living his life the way that he is. He so he's he's lacking a lot of ambition, uh, and he's just recently uh, found at this point, like that he really does want to be a good wizard. He he knows he's not going to be the best wizard. It's, that's not that's not in the cards for him. He's too old. Um he knows that this game is drawing drawing soon uh to end. Um but he, he's trying to he's trying to make good on at least uh the path that he's on. So, uh with this, I mean, so the way I played it was that Ilsori Gandithus was somebody that he he thought that he could connect with and look up to and he he kind of wanted a mentor in life and this was a, an opportunity for him to do that. So it's kind of the way that I played it. I don't know that that necessarily in and of itself is something that is going to um rally, something for the rest of the team to rally around 
I think probably the way I could have played it in, in a way that uh, the rest of the team would have been more motivated to uh, make it up the uh, tower more so than just, you know, uh, Ezrin. Uh, Ezrin has a man crush on this, you know, local powerful wizard. Um, again, I think it's one of those things where I think that I could do a better job just in general in playing my character uh, probably a little more straight and uh, probably a little more uh, in a way that uh, makes them more heroic where I'm mostly just trying to play them off like myself. I'm, I'm Mary suing my wizard is basically what I'm doing. You seem tired to come into this game. Do you remember that? You seemed pretty exhausted personally. Um, I'm always a little bit exhausted, I think. So uh, I don't remember specifically, but it's very likely. I, 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 I literally, I, it's kind of like when I'm listening to an audiobook, I can tell you where I was when I was listening to a specific chapter. But when it comes to a game, I, I can't tell you a thing about what my life was like. So did I warn you that the session was going to be about you before you showed up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I knew, yeah. Okay. Because, because we had already gone through the Mike game. Uh, I think we'd ha- already had the Nathan game. I think I was probably third or fourth in the series of uh, character-specific uh, stories. Okay, so you knew. You had the warning coming in. All right. It's focusing in the future. In future. Should I continue focusing some sessions, not all sessions, on individual players? With Nathan's game, it worked out beautifully, as we said. Mike, with your game, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. With Brian's game, we struggled. We, we, we definitely struggled. Is this something I should continue? I don't... I, so, now I'll, I'll let you go, Mike. I just want to make this quick point. Um, I'm all about you can focus on a character or a person in the game, but it doesn't have to be, and there doesn't have to be a fairness policy in place. If you have a game focusing on Mike, you don't have to have a game focusing on me next to balance things out. I think that's a good way to approach it. Maybe each, each individual player gets a, an opt in or an opt out if they want a character specific, or you don't even have to tell unless you need to tell us, you don't even necessarily even have to tell us. So if I if I had given you the option to opt out, Brian, would you have opted out before this, or did you need this experience to know that that it's not your thing? Um, I mean, like even in the future, I mean, it it could work out. Maybe if I had a different character. So if this was the game we were playing in fourth edition, I totally think I could have had a character. Okay, got it. So yeah. it's it's more how connected to the backstory are you? It's how connected to the backstory and what are the motivations for my character? And you were struggling that, at that time anyway. Yeah, I was just having a hard time. I was having a hard time uh, just uh, bringing it all together with Ezrin. Was uh, was was this the game where character wise you were being really hard on yourself, and the entire party was like, "No, no, you're a good wizard. Look at what you did. You did that." Was that this game or another? Yeah, game? it was. It was either this game that was or a couple, after. It was a couple games. It was this game, and then also a few, a few, a few more. Okay, okay. I, I think that might have had something to do with it too. I think, I think we as characters might have gotten a little too slap happy with that whole concept and it it kind of just turned the whole we're focusing on this character oh we're making a joke out of this character which at the time was hilarious but th- thinking back to the to the progression of the game and and maybe some of the times that this slowed down us not not brian but the other players at the table might have also been inhibiting that mm. did the game have enough variety so quick reminder right it was dungeon crawl it was a lot of exploration Several social encounters, you know, talking to people about Ilsorai and what he did. Uh, there were a lot of puzzles. There were the two statue puzzles. There was the actual physical wooden puzzle that I handed you to solve to open the final door. I completely forgot about that. Yep, there was combat. There were the, the dire rats in the basement. There was the evil cleric. 
So it definitely had combat. I was trying to throw every bit of variety I possibly could. The only thing this game didn't have was a skill challenge. It had everything else. Was it, an, was it enough variety or was it too, too wide and not deep enough? I thought the variety was great. I, uh, I think this is the the most varied game we've we've played in a while, and it it made a nice balance to the dungeon of having lots of different opportunities to to explore and and activities. The only thing I think that didn't work that well, and I don't think it was the the setup itself. I think it was our execution was the voice activated lock, where we had to figure out the two statues, the two statues. Yes, yeah. yeah. So we talked at the time at the table about how the two. So there were these for those of you listening at home. Stair, the stairwell was guarded by statues, and, and, and you had to give the statue a password to get on this floor. Well, I had the, the two consecutive floors guarded by statues that needed different passwords, and that that, that repetition was annoying. And I, I knew that as soon as we played it, as soon as we got the second statue, I was like, oh, this is annoying. But uh, it happened, and I didn't see it coming because as I'm putting together this tower in my mind and as I'm putting together my notes for the tower, it's easy to make a decision like that sounds just like this. Hey, he can animate statues, and that's how he's going to defend the floors. So every floor should have a statue. So boom, it's just one decision you make, and all of a sudden there's multiple of the exact same puzzle on different floors. So that was an easy trap for me to fall into, was was repetition, like too much repetition in the game. We should have glossed over the second statue. That's my fault entirely. Anything to add to that? I don't... So I, the, the first puzzle was I had to say... Somebody had to basically speak as Ilsorai, like, I, Ilsorai, Gandithus, command you to open, or something like that. Well, the first one was, you had to say you had permission from Ilsorai to be there. And the second one is, you had to say you were Ilsorai. So, okay, so, I don't think that, I don't think that we worked it out in a way where we said, we have permission to be there. I I think if I'm not mistaken, we we basically said that we were Ilsorai, and I think that the statue led us through. Yeah, I think I got tired of of having you guess the 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 riddle. So as soon as you land on something that worked, you guys had worked out some logic for. Oh, this is what we should do. Students are meant to get up here. Here's how this might work. Yeah, it's logical. So I, I just let it happen. So I think we basically just repeated the same thing for both levels. Yeah, probably. So again, I recognize that repetition was bad. I won't. I won't be doing that again. I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, how do you know until you do it? And it's going to be. It's. It, there's so many lessons that we've learned. It's going to be hard to keep track. Oh yeah, and I mean, this was the prep for this game was good. The verisimilitude was good. The variety was good. It just goes to show that no matter how experienced you are and how much work you put into it and thought you put into it and how much experience you apply to it, of knowing that people want variety and verisimilitude and reasons. So it, you can still screw up. So when we post the podcast for this, the title of the episode should be the definition of ver, a verisimil- verisimilitude. Verisimilitude. I love that word. I can't even say it, but I know what the word means. The, Good the, word. I first learned about that word from a wonderful featurette on the Superman DVD, where Richard Donner apparently he had a banner printed up for verisimilitude. He's like, "Look, we're dealing with fantastical stuff in this movie, but I want people to treat it like it's normal, and I want to deal with it as, as if you saw this in real life. What would it be like?" So the, the watchword for that movie that Donner had printed on a huge banner was verisimilitude. So I've, I've loved that word ever since. That's cool. Anyway. All right, last question. So, Brian, we ended the game on a bit of information about your father, who we cleverly named Tedzrin. So Ezrin's <laughs> father is Tedzrin. Tedrin. Um, it kind of fell flat. Yeah. Why didn't you grab that seed? Why didn't, why didn't you care? 
Is it, is it the same thing? Hey, I'm still exploring this character. I still don't know. So had this been the second game that we played, I would have jumped all over it. But in playing this for so long, I've forgotten his backstory to the point where it's it it doesn't even factor into the way that I think about the character. Yeah, Ezrin, his well, his father was uh, basically framed for something, and I had, I mean, I don't even remember. So basically, his father was uh, framed for a crime or something he didn't commit. Yeah, he was framed for worshiping a demon, and then it turns out, according to the backstory in the beginner box, that turns out he wasn't framed. He really did. Did I know that? Yeah. Dude, are, are you sure that I knew that part? On the character sheet that you use every game, yeah, exactly. it's printed on the back of it. Whoops. Whoops. Okay, so <laughs> that, that, that goes to goes to the point. I don't care what his backstory is. I don't play him that way. So, so to so to play devil's advocate for Brian, I, I have no idea what my character's actual backstory is, other than she loves her god. Yeah, we are going to definitely not use pregens on our next campaign <laughs> for sure. And but you know what? Uh, let me say this too. I, I have been completely comfortable with you guys taking hold of the the backstory is not canon. It's a suggestion. Yeah. If you want to get rid of it, I'm fine with that. If you want to do something different, I'm fine with that. So with Kyra, I don't think the backstory's come into play. With Merciel, it really hasn't. Valeris, Valeris has a totally different backstory. Chris is very much, he's done a great job of telling us what Valeris is back. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to do this thing on the back of the character sheet. Here's here's Valeris' actual backstory. Yeah. So um, how long have we been playing this campaign now? Almost six months. So maybe if we do something that we're going to play for more than a couple of games, maybe we roll our characters and come yeah, up with them. I think yeah. so. My GMs hate it when I roll my own character, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Tetrin thing fell flat. It's, it's another. It's another shade of the same thing. You weren't ready for that seed. I I I had what would have been ready many games earlier, but by that point, I just quit caring. Got so it. So it was almost too late for that seed. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's do let's 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 do a review uh, of what we took down on the whiteboard here, and I'll, I'll throw in some some stuff as we go. So, the first thing is, is I did figure out a way to write down the thing about the maps. Players focus on visuals, and I've known that, but the conversation today confirms it, and it's easy to forget. It's easy to it's easy to grab some maps, you know, a couple hours before your session, and not look at them real close and think about, oh, what are the players when I lay this down players are going to focus on it because it's the only thing in front of them about the game. So of course they're going to overthink it. It's part of the game. So players focus on visuals as a DM. You need to be aware of that, mitigate that with some, with, with, with statements about, Hey, this is map isn't perfect, but I bought it a couple of years ago and by God, I'm going to use it. So think about mitigating statements you can make to, to have the players focus less on the map or focus on the areas of the map that are important. That way they don't get, their brains don't turn to mush as they try to process every single room of this map in, in huge detail. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Next one. Only focus on players who are ready. And I'll even go a step further, Brian, and say players, characters who are ready. Because you made a good point. When I think about Ken Blanchard's situational leadership, it's not the SL2. SL2. Situational leadership 2. Situational leadership 2. <laughs> when I think about Brian, Brian the player, Brian the player, it's tempting to say, well, Brian the player has been playing for years. Brian the player has played in really good games. Brian is an S4. Brian is... Oh, I would not say... I'm, 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 I go between an S2 and an S3. But Brian is both motivated and competent, so I, I, I might say... I might assume he's an S4. But situational leadership teaches that Brian is never an S4. Mm-hmm. Brian, at, at this particular task. task, 
is an S4. It's not just Brian. It's what situation is Brian in. So with this Ezrin game, Brian... I'm back to an S2 on certain aspects. Yeah. Brian with... What was the paladin's name? Malkior. Malkior. Brian with Malkior, complete S4. Understand your motivation, highly motivated, highly competent at playing that character, highly competent with the character sheet, very able to slip in that role. Brian with Ezrin, mm, maybe an S2. Yeah, that's fair. Competent, and, but unmotivated. Yeah, that that is exactly, that. yeah, that's very fair. I, I, situational leadership, for those of you out there who haven't taken it or explored it, I think makes a lot of sense. I, 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 would, I would definitely look into that. It's, it's a good way to understand how you... Uh, and people around you um, can be excellent at it in one area and not so much in another because people people are people aren't excellent at everything. They're excellent at specific tasks. Yeah, and it's a good that that whole class is a good reminder of it. Yeah. So so really only focus on players' characters who are ready to be focused on and and, and talk with players about their state of readiness. Um, next up, variety's good. So I threw a lot of variety into this adventure. I knew that I could emphasize things that were working and maybe gloss over things that weren't working, and I should have glossed over more because the next point I wrote down is that close repetition is boring. I don't want to say that repetition is bad, right, because some repetition is good. In fact, you could probably do a really great puzzle based on repetition with minor variations that really draw players into, oh, how is this room similar to the last room as far as mechanics go, but what's the trick to this room? Repetition could be really interesting, but close repetition, mm, boring. Been there, done that, especially in the same session. So I'm, I'm, I went ahead and wrote down that close repetition is boring. Anything else to add on this game? I think you've summarized it really well. Yeah. Hey, always stuff to learn. Always lessons to learn, no matter how much you play. So I do want to mention one thing. So this is was a good reminder for us that rolling treasure was kind of painful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once we got through it. Yeah, we there were quite a quite a few things to roll. Um, in fact, we should mention, well, yeah. Um, because of this game and a few others, I actually made a treasure roller. We mentioned it quite a few episodes ago. If you go to destinian.com, like D-U-S-T-I-N-I-A-N.com, and you go to the gaming section, you will find a Pathfinder Beginner Box treasure roller. Where I codified the random treasure rolls from the Pathfinder Beginner Box... Every monster in the beginner box says, you know, for treasure, you know, one minor treasure, two minor treasures, one major treasure, three major treasures. So that page has two buttons, minor treasure, major treasure. And you push those buttons and it'll it'll go through the whole generation process for you exactly as, as written in the book. And we've been using that for probably the last three or four sessions. Oh, what all the fun of random treasure. It hasn't removed any of the fun of random treasure. I don't think. No. It's way better. But oh, it's yeah. but it's removed the, the percentile dice and this table and now let me go to that table and another die roll. It's just what a slug to spend the last, you know, ten minutes of your session rolling up treasure when you can hit a button and still be like, Ooh, you know, a, a staff of healing. What are we gonna do with that? I think you made a good point in our, our most recent game that we haven't talked about yet, but in our most recent game of uh, potentially rolling that treasure before the game to understand what items the NPC enemy PC NPCs have on them and they could potentially use <laughs> in battle. Yeah. So last game, literally last game, just two, two nights ago, three nights ago. Yep. Um, they killed a cleric, an evil cleric who had a treasure on him. And when we rolled it, it was a wand of healing. And it's like, Oh wow. 
he could have used that on himself. Yeah. So I, I don't know, Mike. I, I may do that. I may roll it ahead of time. But part of the magic of the random treasure is the rolling it at the table. True. So I don't know. I'm still kind of on the fence about that. As, as, when, in D&D, as in so many things, there is no one one true path. It's very true. All right, I think that's it for our episode this week. Good lessons learned. A reminder that RPG Lessons Learned is part of the RFC family of shows, so please visit tfradio.net and explore all the other wonderful podcasts in Brian's podcasting repertoire. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you. <laughs>